What if it rained food? What if Earth was a cube? What if we had nine lives? What if bits could fly? It's absurd. If money grew on trees, if we didn't have knees, if we walked through life slightly magnetical, it's absurd. Absurd hypotheticals. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show where we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. So we got one today. It's all, it's familiar to a question we've answered before. Um, we've done, what if you were six inches tall? That was one of our very early episodes. I think it might have been like the second, was it the second one or third one? I don't know. It was, it was one it was of the, definitely, like, definitely in the first 20. Yeah. But we, this one was actually definitely different. And this one, we, we doubled down on one. It's not just you. It's everybody. And it's not six inches tall. It's only one inch tall. The question we have is, what if everyone was one inch tall? Ben, why don't you start us off and, you know, explain to us why it's different than six inches. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you're aware of this, but one inch is really small. It's smaller than six inches. It's it's roughly a sixth the size of six inches. <laughs> so when I started looking at this, my first thought was just like, my first thought was, what can we possibly eat in order to survive, right? Because, you know, a lot of our current options are pretty much off the table uh, just due to our small stature. Our tables are too small. The tables are, well, the problem is the tables are too big, so we can't get up to them. Well, we wouldn't have built the tables. Yeah, we wouldn't. Have built it. It, we're, I guess because we haven't <laughs> specified, this is not a like everyone wakes up and they're an inch tall. This is a like humans have always been an inch tall in case that wasn't clear from the start. But once I started thinking about this, what I realized is that before I can figure out what we have to eat, I have to figure out how much we have to eat. Because obviously, that is going to be different when we're only an inch tall. Because your calorie requirements, your base metabolic rate, it varies based on a lot of things. But across just any organism, really, what it comes down to for the most part is weight, right? So going even further back, what does a one-inch tall person weigh? Um, This is actually pretty hard to figure out. I tried a few different ways and most of them just didn't work because most of the ways people can sort of approximate human weights assume relatively regular human proportions. (laughs) And I would, you know, do the math out and then find out we all were going to weigh like negative 80 pounds, which probably isn't accurate. (laughs) So what I finally wound up having to do is I was able to find the, the number for the density of the human body which is, is 1,010 kilograms per cubic meter. And what I figured out is that if you can just scale down human dimensions, you can use that density to figure out, based on those dimensions, like overall, you know, a human's volume, what their weight would be. So for the approximation, I decided to use an oval cylinder. So, you know, cylinder with ovals at either end, right? Basically going from top of the head to the feet, and then the long axis is like across your shoulders, and the short axis is like across your chest. Um, it's not perfect, but it's going to give you a pretty close approximation to the volume of a human. Um, so I need that height, that width, and that depth of a person. So I found in the NASA Manned Systems Integration Standards, uh, Volume 1, Section 3, Anthropop... Oh, man. Anthropop... Uh, I tried this last week, <laughs> and I could say it. Anthropopom... <laughs> Anthropopompom. Anthropometry. I kept trying to add an extra syllable there. And biomechanics. <laughs> they basically had 
average sizes of a a like 40 year old astronaut that you know is, is average across various ethnic backgrounds and and whatnot so i looked at the section which is basically the dimensional data for an american male 40 year old in astronaut ish shape right which gave us a height of 70.8 inches a width of 21.7 inches and a depth of 9.8 inches and what we can do is take those dimensions and because we know we're only an inch tall we can scale everything down by the ratio between that 70.8 inch height and that one inch height. So that winds up being about 1.4% of the size, which gives us a one inch tall, 0.3 inch wide, 0.14 inch deep person. And then just as sort of a sanity check, I want to make sure that using my like cylinder approximation, I was going to get roughly the volume of a human um, when I went through the math. So I was able to find a couple of places where people had done like actual, basically by doing, um, you know, you put something in water and see how much the water rises, had figured out what the volume of a person is. Um, and they both worked out to about 4,000 cubic inches. So if I use that volume approximation on the NASA numbers, I wound up with a volume of about 11.8 thousand cubic inches, which is clearly not 4,000 cubic inches, but that makes sense because we're not cylinders. <laughs> but what <laughs> it does yourself. give us... You do. I love how you just talk about how good your approximation is and then it's off by like three times. <laughs> well, well, hold on, hold on. But it, it, this is actually still useful because, because we have that number based off of the NASA calculations. We can figure out the ratio between that and that actual 4,000 cubic inches and get, you know, sort of the what proportion of that cylinder is actually a person. And we can use that to get an actual accurate volume calculation at the end of all of this. So it works out to being like, you know, around three times, right? So overall, crunching all the numbers, our one inch person is going to have a volume of 0.011 cubic inches, which using that uh, 1,010 kilograms per cubic meter or 16.5-ish grams per cubic inch, winds up with a mass of 0.746 grams, which is quite small. And this is kind of at this point where I had gotten this volume and this mass was like, man, we're really little, huh? <laughs> Which <laughs> yeah, I have I have the I have the I have the kilogram to pound, and it's you weigh point zero 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 four pounds. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. You're it's it's yeah. Like I, I knew that obviously a one inch person is small, but somehow it was even smaller than it was in my mind. It's ridiculous. So how do you get from this to an actual like knowing how many calories we need to eat in a day? Um, there actually is an equation people have calculated for some, or I guess an organism's metabolic rate. Basically because metabolic rate is, is very dependent on mass. Um, the reason for that is a little complicated, but a lot of it boils down to the fact that it's a lot easier for a big thing to hold its heat than a small thing, right? Mostly because of like surface area and stuff like that. Um, so small organisms have to spend a lot of energy just not freezing to death right to just you know keeping themselves hot it's like the ratio of volume to surface area exactly yeah you know if you have like an elephant it's obviously a lot easier for an elephant just to by existing be warm than like a mouse you know so it kind of works out to i guess there's kind of a couple of ways to, to look at this so there's more to your base metabolic rate than just the mass but within like a single organism you can pretty accurately determine an exact metabolic rate based on their mass and then a constant that varies based on the organism um, and it kind of works out to like that constant times the mass to the two-thirds power so i was able to find 
an example like mass for a person in BMR, which was a 70 kilogram man has a BMR of 87 watts. One watt is 0.86 kilocalories, which is sort of like the calories you see on food, right? Per hour. So I did the math just as a sanity check once again and found out that doing this gives a requirement of about 1800 calories per day, which checks out with, you know, what actual nutrition says, right? Does it still say 2000 a day in actual nutrition? I'm curious. So actual nutrition, it's, it's one of those things where like, 2,000 a day is actually a fine rough guideline because it's it's pretty – I guess 2,000 a day for for a, like, average-sized man, it's lower for women from a combination of factors. Um, and then, obviously, it'll vary based on your weight and then based on, like, your actual goals. And, like, acti- activity level. Yeah, activity levels, exactly, yeah. It, it varies a lot, but it's going to be somewhere between, like, probably 1,500 and – 23 2200 something like that i don't and know 5000 if you're the rock yeah my, my issue is not with keeping 2000 calories anyway it's just making it's in making sure that you know 1200 of those 2000 calories aren't cheetos right exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway we can use our tiny weight using the you know the cost that we can find by using those numbers and that tells us that our daily requirement is only 0.87 calories per day which seems really low personally <laughs> so i want to try to figure out like a way to sort of, you know, check that. So what I did is basically I found the smallest mammal on the planet, which is the Etruscan shrew. It weighs about 1.8 grams. Just a little tiny, adorable shrew. That weighs 10 times more than, oh no, not 10 times more. It's but like, it's close. like one and a half times, right? Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Which, yeah, I know it's also, congratulations guys, we're now the smallest mammal on the planet. So cool. <laughs> well done. That little little shrew has to eat one and a half to two times its body weight per day, and it mostly eats insects, larvae, and worms. So I found a doc from the Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN that gives calorie counts for different insects. Um, threw out one that randomly had like 1,200 calories per 100 grams when all the others were like below 500, because that was just like a really weird outlier, and got an average of 208 calories per 100 grams of insects. So roughly two calories per grams, um, which with that body weight and that one and a half two times its body weight it's eating like 5.4 7.2 so actually the 0.87 i don't think is that far off it does weigh i guess it's a little more than twice as much as us so how many bugs do we have to eat well it's funny you should say that so i actually checked on like what's the thing we could actually maybe hunt i thought ants ants are pretty small ants weigh one milligram to five milligrams each and if, even if you say it's five milligrams each, the calorie count in ants means that it would take about 150 to get to one calorie. And I don't think we could successfully hunt 150 ants per person per day. Um, so I started looking at other options because clearly being like carnivorous predators may not be our lot in life anymore. I thought about grass, but unfortunately we don't have cellulase, which is the enzyme that breaks down um, cellulose, which is like what grass is comprised of so you can eat grass it just goes through as indigestible fiber but you're not going to get any nutritional benefit from it so can't eat grass so still stuck with things you could actually eat i looked at berries blueberries which are like the you know the smallest most like movable for us berries have 57 calories per 100 grams and they weigh about half a gram so it's only like 2.85 calories per blueberry um so we'd have to eat even saying that the 0.7 is accurate you'd have to eat you know, like, what, three and a half blueberries per day, which 
isn't impossible, but one thing I realized is that it's going to be pretty much impossible for us to actually grow anything because it would require like a crane or something. <laughs> so we're probably stuck with foraging. So I finally wound up with our probably our best option is seeds and specifically like acorns. Using acorns, an acorn weighs like one to 10 grams and you get 3.87 calories per gram of acorn. So one acorn, even if it only weighs a gram, could feed like almost five people and bigger ones could, could feed even more. So obviously it wouldn't have to just be acorns. Seeds in general are just very calorically dense for their size, which is kind of what we need. So I think we're kind of just going to be basically squirrels is kind of what it comes down to. <laughs> squirrels, got it, guys. squirrels got it figured out. Man. Right? Like we're just going to run around and like, like forage for seeds and stash them away and try not to get devoured by literally everything because we're now the smallest mammal on the planet. <laughs> or we build tiny cranes and move, start moving blueberries. So, the, okay. So here's the problem. Here's the problem with that is that like, because I think about like, if you can grow like a single potato, it can feed, you know, feed you for a year <laughs> or whatever. Like, right? But the problem is if you grow anything, like any other larger mammal that forages for, you know, food is going to come by and steal it because you can't do shit about it. What are you going to like... <laughs> If a squirrel comes up to you, what are you going to do? <laughs> I do like the idea of an entire village of people defending one potato. Right. <laughs> I, right? Like, it's a great mental image. I don't think it's that practical. So I think we're foraging for seeds. I guess what it comes down to. So no more cows and steaks and stuff. I like steak. Yeah. I, I tried to look into, like, if we could. So technically you can milk any animal. <laughs> I try to figure out. If we could milk that shrew, um, it's a lot bigger than us. I, 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 I want to just not going down that road because it, it just was impossible to get any actual answers because clearly no one's tried to milk a tiny shrew before. <laughs> it's theoretically possible, but did you at least do that Google search? I, I didn't. I Googled search a lot of things about milk, guys. We want to be using none of it. I want an audio clip of you just being like, I wanted to see if we could milk that shrew. Just so I could show it to people. You have to explain that no, it's not a euphemism. That's literally. Right. No, I actually meant. That. I actually meant milking the shrew. It's not. It's not a. a uh, yeah, it's not a euphemism. It really sounds like one. Man. Okay, I got, I got off the subject. Uh, Chris, what did you do? So. I sort of went down the same route, not in terms of food, but I want to look at like other resources that we need and could we still get them. And I really just focused on one of the more common ones, which is trees and wood, because we use a lot of trees and wood. And I assume we would still use, we would still need trees if we're tiny. So I found an article from 2017 that says that we harvest 15 billion trees right now and re replant 5 billion trees per year. Um, so that's a net loss of 10 billion trees per year, which is not good. If we if we continue this consumption of trees, that means we're going to run out of trees in 300 years, which is <laughs> not far off. Wait, when was this when was this study from? 2017. God dang, you know, for some reason I thought in like 2015 we kind of fixed our deforestation problem. Because I just you just never heard about it anymore, and you know there were a lot of replanting tree efforts. So I thought we were tree positive. Yeah, I no. mean, it's at least according to 2017. I didn't I didn't find a more recent article, but in 2017, net loss of 10 billion. 
I, I think that like maybe the US is tree positive at this point, but I know that like like Brazil specifically is like real bad right now. Yeah. Mm-mm. Bummer. Yeah. Bad, it's a bummer. Sad facts. Not great. It is a sad fact. But I don't know. If we were small, then maybe it would solve this problem. So I want to look at that. So I, to start this out, I, I looked at the average size of a tree and I got my numbers from a 2009 data set which included 192 different species of plant of uh of trees and they said that the average tree is 88 feet tall and has a girth of eight feet originally i thought the girth was the diameter i was like that's huge (laughs) yeah that was my thought too the girth is actually just the circumference of the trunk Uh, so that equates to two and a half feet in diameter which is a lot more reasonable so if we're using that to, those dimensions for the average tree, that means that we harvest about 6.6 trillion cubic feet of wood every year, which comes down to 846 cubic feet per person, which is enough wood to fill two concrete mixer trucks per year per person. So if we're small and we need less wood, how much wood do we, would we actually need? I don't know if it's actually proportional, but I just kind of assumed that it would be. Because there's no other way for me to f- figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> so if we're one inch tall, assuming that the average person is like six feet or something like that, that means that we're 1.4% of our current height, which means that we'll consume 1.4% of, of the wood that we harvest. So that means that we'll harvest 92 billion cubic feet of wood per year, which is 12 cubic feet per person which is enough to fill two bathtubs, which is a lot more reasonable than two concrete truck, concrete mixer trucks. I mean, if we're small, that's still a lot, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, I, wonder if, I wonder if it scales down cubically like the weight does, because I don't think if I was one inch tall, I would need 12 cubic feet of wood. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's just an average number. So like for like construction and stuff, because we use wood for a lot of stuff, construction tools for heat. I guess that's true. So there's a lot of things. It's not just like I have this wood thing in my house. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And that equates to around 210 million trees per year, which is way lower than our 15 billion trees. And it's a lot easier to replant trees than it is to actually cut them down. So I I figured we'd still be able to keep that, um, that 5 billion trees replanted or at least get close to it. So that that would be good. We'd have a net positive or a net gain in trees, uh, which is a good thing. But the the next thing I want to see is, could we actually cut down a tree? Because, like, obviously they're much bigger now and it's hard. And, well, well, first I, I, tr- I kind of, like, looked at other options and I considered grass because grass is, is more our size. But I knew that grass decays a lot faster than than actually wood because i think it it has a higher much higher uh water content i think it decays within like a few weeks so it really wouldn't work for like construction as construction material so we still need the wood we still need the trees um so we still need to cut down the trees so how big is a tree compared to us proportionally if we look at this proportionally a tree is now the diameter of the height of the castle Walt Disney World. <laughs> <laughs> That's the diameter of uh, an average tree. 
And the height of the average tree is the length of the National Mall leading up to the Washington Monument. So giant tree. And if you want, if you want to walk around the trees, like the circumference of the trunk, it would be the equivalent of 1.5 football fields. So how do we normally harvest these trees? We have something called a tree harvester. (laughs) 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 So it's basically just like a a big crane. It's like a vehicle thing that you you can drive and stuff. Um, And the person's inside. But at the end of the arm of the crane, there's a head and the head has a bunch of things on it. It has like a chainsaw at the bottom that can cut down the trunk of the tree. It has like little claw grip things that can wrap around the trunk. And then it has wheels on the grip, the grippy things. I don't know what that like the official words for these are. So I'm just going to call them grippy things. And what it does. Oh, yeah. And then on the top of the head, there are like blades, just like sharp blades. And what it does is that it uses a chainsaw to cut the trunk and it turns the tree horizontal and it uses the wheels to feed the trunk lengthwise through the grippy, the grippy part and the blades at the top strip off all the, the branches. It's actually really cool. I looked up some videos of it and it looks really cool. It looks kind of creepy actually how efficient it is. Oh yeah, no, that tree harvester is like, I, I, we did it once before where we were looking at cutting down trees. Did we? I think it was, uh, oh, I was looking at lightsaber to see if you cut a tr- tree down faster with a lightsaber. And then I saw the tree harvester and immediately gave up on the uh, idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't in that episode, but yeah. It's like, <laughs> so you know what I'm insane. talking about. Yeah, no, it's wild. <laughs> it's like it's like an upsetting it's like an upsetting level of tree destruction. It's like fern gully. Like it just oh boy, all those trees yeah. are just comically gone. <laughs> it's like how did we get this efficient at this? I have no idea. Practice <laughs> billions of trees a year in practice. <laughs> yeah. But now that we're tiny and we're only an inch tall, I guess theoretically you could still build tree harvesters, but they would be tiny tree harvesters <laughs> and they would not be very effective. So how are we going to cut down these trees? We need an alternative. We can't really build a machine that's like bigger than the castle at Walt Disney World <laughs> that'll like move and like cut down trees. It's not going to work. So I started looking at other ways that we can cut things down. And cutting things down, I, I, I started looking more into like, like boring into things is sort of like cutting things down. So I started looking into tunnel boring machines. We use them to obviously bore tunnels. So the the biggest tunnel boring machine that I could find, they said that they're up to the de- they have a diameter up to 58 feet. So proportionally, if our height is an inch tall, then that means that our tunnel boring machine would be about 10 inches in diameter. So compared to our two and a half foot diameter trunk, we would need to make three passes through the trunk in order to cut it down, which is actually pretty good. I think it actually maybe even fall down after two passes because then like two thirds of the trunk is gone. So the tunnel boring machine actually moves like in real life, it moves about 35 feet per day, which is not a lot. And proportionally, that's about six inches per day. So every day, if we're cutting into this tree, we're going to bore into it six inches every day. And that means that it'll take five days to do one pass through the trunk. And it'll take like 10 to 15 days to actually cut down the the tree. If we need 210 million trees per year, that means that we need need 8,750,000 crews going at once, like 
crews operating these uh, tunnel boring machines. All right, job creation. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Just what we need. And it takes about 10 people to operate these machines. So we need 87.5 million people. That's actually only 1% of the population. So we have plenty of people to cut down trees. But there are some other issues when it comes to cutting down trees because we don't like the harvester has that thing that removes all the branches. And then it's pretty easy for us to like, I think it cuts it into logs and then we transport it pretty easily. But we don't have a way to cut down the branches and we don't have a way to transport it easily. So I figured what's going to happen is that whenever we cut down a tree, it's basically just going to turn it into like a mining quarry type of thing where like people go in with axes and chainsaws and they just harvest all the wood there by hand. And I guess that's technically how you'd have to do it. Um, I did look into how long the tree would be there after you cut it down because my worry is that it would decay and it would decay before we could actually use it. But trees actually take a pretty long time to decay and it depends on the tree and like the conditions, but the numbers I found were like anywhere from like 50 years to like 120 years they last. So I think we're good on that. Oh, yeah, we got some time then. So yeah, in general, harvesting trees works, I think. It'll be a little harder to actually harvest the wood, but it's doable. We'll just have to um, get the, get our boring machines and then get our chainsaws and mine it and a little different process we can't use the tree harvesters anymore but we can still do it and then the on the upside is that we have a net gain of trees and we don't have to worry about that anymore so that's a good thing we just have to worry about putting you know 80 percent of our population on cutting them down (laughs) (laughs) well one percent on cutting it down and then i don't know what the percent is for for harvesting it but yeah uh marcus what do you look at so Ben, you alluded to it a little bit, but what, like when you're like, oh, what could we hunt? And that's kind of where I started was I started looking at predators and then realized what I was really looking for was predator bugs. And then realized I was looking at stuff too, like weather catastrophes, like moderate rainfall and realized we're not super well suited to surviving like <laughs> in a cute little scale town in a field. And funnily, kind of the inspiration for I ended up going was also squirrels. <laughs> I guess they're just what we think of small animal, we think of squirrels. Uh, and I remembered a random fact I had learned where squirrels are small enough that their terminal velocity is actually low enough that they should be able to survive a fall from any height. So theoretically, if you threw a squirrel off the Empire State Building, it would be just fine. Don't do it. Because <laughs> this is a fact that has, you know, I read on the internet and... <laughs> Like, How would the squirrel that is not react? a good excuse to throw squirrels off buildings. Also, they will be mad at you. Yeah. The I mean, squirrels and people in the Empire State Building, I'm assuming you mean, right? Well, the building itself would be mad. <laughs> well, the, the people who, like, Yeah, the squirrel it? would be the one that was mad. And I would rather the squirrels be mad at me than the Empire State Building. I feel like someone else is going to be mad at you in this process. Yeah, I guess if I... It's worse that the squirrel's mad at you. But if the Empire State Building could get mad for some reason, <laughs> I wouldn't want that at all. <laughs> If it somehow had the capacity to do that, that would be very scary in and of its own right. So I wanted to check to see if the same thing would hold true for our our tiny, tiny people. So as Ben mentioned, the weight of a person is very, very small. And as you scale something down, the weight of the object decreases cubically, while its surface area, which is what's going to cause all the drag, is decreasing quadratically. So basically the weight per surface area ratio gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And when that ratio goes down the terminal velocity will also decrease because you have less weight per inch pushing against the drag. So 
can our one-inch bodies, as assumedly fragile as they are, with all our, our now very thin bones, um, survive a fall at terminal velocity? So I spent some time doing the math out. And our terminal velocity, if we're, you know, kind of horizontal in a skydiving pose, is a whopping 0.682 miles an hour. (laughs) (laughs) And if we go straight into a nosedive, we can reach top speeds of 1.62 miles per hour um, while falling. So answer, yes, we could survive a fall from any height. What, What good does that do us, though? Basically, this makes it a lot safer for us to abandon the ground where there's just going to be oh so many things trying to eat us and take to the skies. So there's a few different ways that we, you know, that humans know of flying. And what's cool is like, we're very, like, because we're so light, we don't need much. Heck, like an amusement park balloon filled with helium can lift 14 grams, which would be the equivalent of 18 one-inch people. But if we're going to really scale it up, what interests me most as a way to colonize the skies is drones. So to go to a mass-producible typical drone, I took Amazon's latest delivery drone. So Amazon's latest delivery drone can deliver packages up to 5 pounds, which is 2,267 grams. And considering we weigh less than a gram each, that's a lot of people on one drone. Uh, But of course, we will also need, you know, homes and whatnot. So my question then was, what should our homes then be built out of? Because I was thinking about, you know, our typical construction methods with, like, wooden things. Sorry, Chris. Um, are a bit, a bit fiddly at small scales. Like, if you ask anyone who does little models, wood sucks to work with when it's very small. Maybe easier when we're also small. But why don't we just use what we already use for building small houses? And, of course, I'm talking about Legos. So, the classic 2x4 brick weighs 2.32 grams. From my own experience, because this number is nowhere on the internet, I'd say the average Lego set piece is about half the size of a 2x4 brick. Most of the pieces are very small, and they have some bigger pieces, so averaging out to like a 1x4 or a 2x2 brick. So if we say we use 1,500 grams of our 2,200-pound drone-carrying capacity, we can have 1,300 Lego bricks to build our colony structure. So with that inf- information in hand, I was browsing some uh, some Lego sets on the good old Lego website to find out what does a 1,300-piece Lego set look like. And I found the Lego creator expert gingerbread house, set number 10267, which is, as the name implies, a cool little gingerbread house. It's got a living room, a kitchen, a bedroom, an attic, uh, the dining room. It's got, you know, trees and candy canes and, you know, all these little features and full full of furniture. It's also kind of proportionally not super efficient. It has excessive excessive ceiling heights. Like, if you would scale it to what we are, they'd be like three to four story heights, you know, for kids to fit their fingers in to play with their minifigures. And so it's a lot of wasted space. And so I want to be about smarter about... We'd be smarter builders when we design ours. So I want to see what the, if I could maximize the Lego space in that weight. Just as a point of comparison, a Lego minifigure is about an inch and a half tall. So if you want to imagine it in your head a little easier, we are about two-thirds the height of a Lego minifigure, so we're a bit smaller. So doing some scaling around, if we say one room in our structure is a four-by-four stud room, so four bricks across for the interior dimension, that's the equivalent of an 18-foot-by-18-foot room 
at our, you know, at our current big size. And if we have four bricks high, that gives us the equivalent of nine foot ceiling. So that's a decent size to, for an average room. I took the weight of all the pieces you would need to make up this room and putting it together in a modular fashion, we get an average of 25.9 grams of Legos per room that we're building. If we give each person a, say it's four rooms of space, that's about 100 grams per person for living space. So we've gone from our, you know, gingerbread house that houses one family to 100 grams per person. And if going back to our 1500 grams total, we could get 15 people comfortably in a safe plastic environment on a drone. And here I'll make a point that this is not an efficient method. I liked the idea of building out of Legos, so I did all the math out. But it is, <laughs> if you remember before, we could fit, you know, the weight of people, we could fit thousands of people on our drone. And 15 is not a very good, you know, ratio ratio yeah. <laughs> of weight. So based on a random blog post I found that was tied by uh, Christopher Abel on Thrillist, where he tried to answer the question, so how much does Manhattan weigh? Using his numbers, which sound a lot like how we put our numbers together, so very trustworthy. 14% of Manhattan's weight is people. So saying, you know, if you're living... If if you have a city, the weight of people ratio to weight of buildings ratio is 14% people, 86% other. So that gets us 333 grams of people that would fit on the drone, which is 433 people per drone, which I think is a good place to start. You know, know, close to 500 people on one drone, um, and you'll be able to use that to, you know, not get eaten by frogs and ants and whatnot. If you're in France, you do have one additional concern. We may have mentioned this on the show in the past, because it sounds familiar to me, but it turns out the French police have been training eagles to take down drones. <laughs> so their solution to people flying drones into, you know, secure areas, you know, near airports and that, is to train eagles to take them down so that when, you know, and put the eagles in that in that area so that they don't, have, you know, it's just self-enforcing. You know, you fly a drone, gets attacked by an eagle. And, you know, it's theoretically better than, you know, trying to shoot them and then having, you know, whatever you're using to shoot down the drones, you know, land back somewhere uh, and potentially hurt someone. That was episode six, by the way. The, the episode Eagles. six? Yeah. Wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Why do the very early ones always feel so familiar? <laughs> but anyway, just a fun fact from that a quote from the article talking about it. To prepare them, the baby eagles were placed before birth on top of drones while still inside the eggshell, and after hatching, kept them there during their early feeding period. I don't know how this trains them to attack drones. <laughs> I don't I guess it, know. It stops them from being scared of them. Yeah, maybe that. But like, do you just like put drones? Is the idea you just you just like buckshot put drones everywhere, <laughs> and one of them is going to fulfill the instinct to hunt? And they don't know which one it is. I can't imagine, like, putting an egg on a drone and being like, oh, yeah, we're training him to kill these. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't think, you know, eagles put their eggs on, like, dead field mice or anything. But I think think there's a fairly simple solution in that you take your drone, and you're building it modular out of Legos anyway. So instead of making it look like a drone, you just build it out to look like an eagle. And this will just be, you know, nature's typical disguise way to avoid predators. So if you're in France, you build an eagle drone. If you're elsewhere, you you can build, don't build it out of Legos. Legos are bad. Build it out of, you know, I guess wood or 
pla- like small plastic that's not bulky as Legos is because like <laughs> again once you scale it around like your wall is the equivalent of like two foot thick of like solid plastic and it's just like unnecessary. How are you gonna power these drones? Batteries. They have batteries. That's a short term solution to a long term <laughs> problem, dude. <laughs> yeah. Look, here's here's my take on technology. Like we can build things bigger than ourselves. So there's no reason we couldn't create an energy infrastructure and charge our drones. Okay. I guess. (laughs) Like, would it be exactly an Amazon drone? No. But, like, we could still build batteries. We could still figure out how to build batteries. And we could still build, you know, flying machines. Like, think of what an airplane's look like. We could build build airplanes at smaller scales. And they would be easier to build because it's easier to build small airplanes because of how the scaling works. So we could build a flying machine. We don't have anything that exists right now that's perpetually in flight. I mean, I'm pretty sure you could put... I wonder if you could have enough solar panels on a drone to make it fly forever. That's a question. I don't, I don't think so. I, I feel like... But you can also land in safe places. Like, you could build, you can build places that are safer, that aren't just in the middle of a field, where you could, you know, store and charge your drones and go fishing or whatever you need to do. Fishing might be difficult. <laughs> harvest seeds. I was going to say, seeds. going fishing seemed ambitious. <laughs> Why are we attacking my answer instead of Chris's answer where he thinks we're going to need 12 cubic feet of wood per year? <laughs> I don't see why. What's wrong with wood as a construction material if we're small? Um, I think the, 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 the scale of the fibers in wood is means it's going to split a lot if you try to build very small things with it. That's probably true, yeah. It's also probably too strong for, like, scale-wise. It might be too strong material. Like, we don't need that much strength from it. I don't know for sure. I didn't do the math on the wood. I'm like... Eh, wood seems inconvenient. <laughs> I did a search of wood miniatures, and there are plenty of wood miniatures that look pretty good. Oh, no, they are. But, like, a wood, a model wood house is, like, overbuilt if you scale down the weights of everything. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it being stronger than you need. It was inefficient, though. And your perpetual drone isn't? <laughs> well, my perpetual drone is super efficient, by by definition. You 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 already admitted that your Legos are not efficient. <laughs> Yeah, so I, so I I swapped to saying you know we would do we would use something that would be you know like Manhattan if like I was using the way of Manhattan which is not built to be light and saying that we could fit that many people on a drone. I'm not saying exactly what the best solution is because you just have to find the optimal material. It might still be plastic because plastic is probably the good strength. I'm done arguing here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Both wood and Legos are the wrong thing to build your drone villages out of. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. All right, Chris, are you ready for a would you rather question? Yep, hit me with it. Would you rather live in the world of Zelda or Minecraft? I have never played Minecraft, so I don't know much about it other than videos of it, but it seems safer than the world of Zelda, probably. There are... It is debate. That is debatable. debatable. That is the point. That is immediately debatable. (laughs) Yeah, I guess I just don't know that much about Minecraft. <laughs> so so in Minecraft, every night, monsters constantly spawn. I know, yeah, I know about the creepers. In the dark. Yeah. So there's there's like creepers. There are dudes that come towards you that explode, which isn't ideal. And there's like skeletons with bows and arrows. And there's like giant spiders. There's the main one. Oh, and zombies too. So I guess in... Well, those last three are also in Zelda world, so... Yeah, but they're not... Like, as long as you're in a town, you're fine. Right. right. And like... Marcus is right. They don't spawn in light, but they can come to light. So you'd have to... If you're in, like, a house, do they come in there? Can they break down yeah, doors? Yeah. 
They cannot open doors. They can't? Okay. Okay, so if you're in a house, you're safe. Yeah. The only thing you're not safe in, I think if you're by a wall and there's a creeper on the other side of the wall, I think it can still blow up. Okay, that's an issue. (laughs) I'm not sure about that either. I I haven't played enough Minecraft. Like, danger levels are probably similar in that they're safe zones and... It sounds like Zelda is more safe, uh, has better safe zones. Zelda has better safe zones. The only thing is, is that Minecraft's always safe during the day and super not safe at night, while Zelda has about a, a mid-level of danger all day and all night. The other thing with Zelda is that, like, with Minecraft, there's not, like, a, a you know, big bad who's, like, trying to destroy the world or something, whereas there's always a big bad who's trying to destroy the world in Zelda. No matter what time you're in. Yeah. So, that's kind Ooh, of... That's an interesting, that's an interesting thing, because... If you live in the world of Zelda, theoretically, Link does save the day eventually. Mm-hmm. But. <laughs> but sometimes he doesn't. Right. <laughs> For example, in the Wind Waker franchise, it takes place after the, you know, the main hero didn't save anybody and the entire world got flooded. Uh, and Breath of the Wild is like, like, post Big Bad 1 and Hero was like sealed away to be awoken millennia later, a long time later. So it's like post-apocalypse, basically. Well, I mean, the whole idea of Zelda is that it's cyclical, right? So it goes in cycles, and there will be good times and bad times. That is true. So I guess, like, with Minecraft, you have you have a constant level of disorganized evil. <laughs> and in Zelda, you get a sometimes high level of calculated evil. <laughs> I love that this is where this debate is going. Well, I mean, it's, it makes sense, right? It's like It's like... I guess the other thing, too, with Minecraft is that it's obviously... So, here's here's the other point in favor of Zelda over Minecraft is that Zelda has society, barring, like... I guess even Breath of the Wild has, like, post-Cataclysm has society. Minecraft doesn't, sort of by, like, definition. There's, like... I guess there's some, like, little villages, but... Yeah, they're, like, random little villages, but, which I guess is about equivalent of Zelda, but there's no kings or queens. There's right. no... Mon- there's no... There's no society, really. There's, like, like hamlets. And that's it. So, I mean, you can make anything you want in Minecraft, but it's gonna be pretty lonely. <laughs> so, I guess, I guess, like, the levels of danger are, you know, each pick or choose. The amount and type of evil is probably roughly equivalent on large time scales. <laughs> if you get just thrown into a random Zelda time period or a random Minecraft time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it probably averages out. The next point I want to debate here is Minecraft world, for those who don't know, is, is made up of about three foot by three foot blocks that you can just, you know, punch to destroy. And then, you know, you can take those materials and put the blocks elsewhere. So kind of the, the quote unquote resolution of Minecraft world is just like all these three foot by three foot blocks. Is there anyone that doesn't know that's what Minecraft is? I'm, more important, more I'm saying the scale of it. Like, okay. It's not very precise. Like Zelda is a, you know, a real world where you have, you know, or it is very precise. Yeah, you know, you have normal size things. And Minecraft has some objects, but like the world while malleable is like well blocky. And that probably kind of sucks cuz like in Minecraft when you just like jump around, like it's pretty easy for you that. But if I have to like go over a 3 foot tall block, like that takes a bit of effort on my part. It's not that difficult to do it in the game. Are you following the rules of your character in the game that's actually a very good question i think you are not you are not the main character of the game i would say like you don't just have infinite 
jump power. Like you're not the you're not the game avatar. Like you are a real person in that world. But I will say that all the random things in Minecraft can just like walk up a one block step. Oh no, you can go up a three foot block step. I can do it. It's just a pain in the ass. You can build stairs, but like if you're out and about in the in the like you know you're just like walking across the hills, it's like oh big three foot square. Let me just. Uh, Is that the official uh, that. dimension for the squares? Because it seems smaller than that in the game, just from me picturing it right now. Uh, the the player character is about two blocks high, so that's probably about right. Really, I always thought it was smaller than that. Yep, nope. Doors are two, doors are two blocks high. Hmm. I'm gonna say it's not difficult for you to move up a one block thing because a pig can do it. <laughs> right, like a pig can do it, but like imagine climbing on your kitchen counter, Ben. A right, pig can't but, do but, that though. But but like, <laughs> it's not that you can't. It's not that you can't. It's just annoying. I, I well, he's saying that like the like, like a pig would not be able to climb onto your counter. Yeah, a pig can't can. in the real world can't climb onto a three foot tall like sir. I guess it probably can. Hmm. But you're what saying it does it do? easily. <laughs> in can the pigs game? fly on three? Uh, can can pig, pigs climb three feet? Probably not. I feel like we're really focused on whether a pig can get over a three foot gap, and not so much focused on all the other giant points that are right. I guess I guess I just sell the first Minecraft world. Here. Yeah. Well, I mean that effort level to get over a block is significant. If, yeah. If, if we're saying it's as hard as you are, yeah. then then I think it's pretty obvious what the choice is. But I don't think it is as hard as what you're saying. Yeah. Is there any merit to the world being much more malleable in Minecraft? But I think I think generally the block world is worse. Like. Living in block world is worse than living in regular, you know, Agreed. shape world. Everything's yeah. more malleable, which means that it's more destructible. But it's also more easily rebuilt. True. Yeah. So is malleability, I think it's the malleability is a plus. I don't know if it outweighs the living in block world. And, I, and I'm leaning towards no, but that's just me. I mean, it's a would you rather. So you guys can make your own determination on that. Like, I think, I think my, the biggest fact for me is that Zelda world is an actual society and Minecraft world is not. Yeah, I think Minecraft world will get very lonely very fast. Even though, I mean, part of the gameplay is that you can play with other people. Like, real people. Yeah, but even when you're doing that, like, it's like, you know, a handful of people. Oh, God, could you imagine inviting someone over your house and they're just like, Hey, man, have you ever tried putting your wall, like, from here and, like, they break your wall down, like, to over here and like, they put another wall down? And you're like, dude, stop. To be fair, it's, it's really easy to put it back. Yeah, it's easy to put back, but it would just be like, dude, it's my house. Stop it, man. I don't know. I, I think, I think, I know, I think I'm ready to make a determination. Me too. I think I am too. All right. I'm going to say that I think I would rather live in the Zelda world because I don't think the extra bonuses you get from Minecraft world outweigh the inconvenience of it and the, the just it being shittier as a blocky. Also... I really don't like the idea that I like something is randomly dark one time, like an explosive can spawn in my house. That's not cool. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all that you choose Zelda because you're the Zelda guy. <laughs> but I didn't even pick it for Zelda. I'm not like, oh man, yeah, I want to meet Link. <laughs> no, I just don't want to have my house explode. Any, I, I never expect in any situation that you'd pick Minecraft over Zelda in anything. <laughs> um, I also choose Zelda. For pretty much the same reason. I just think it's the safe zones are better. I don't like the idea of having to worry about creepers outside of my house. And I think the destructibility of everything is a downside, even though it is easier to rebuild. I don't want to rebuild it. I just want it to be, I, want, I want it to stay. I'm, I'm also going to go with Zelda. Um, 
lot of the same reasons as Chris. Also, just, yeah, the lack of society in Minecraft. And honestly, what it comes down to is I get bored playing Minecraft pretty quickly. I would get very bored living <laughs> Minecraft. <laughs> all right. Well, now, do it. We all agree, which is cool. And for similar reasons, which is also different. If you want to hear us go over that same Would You Rather again very briefly, uh, you can always hear it on our behind-the-scenes episode. But to get to that, you have to go to www.patreon.com slash absurdhypotheticals and click on that Become a Patron button. Uh, For $1 a month, you get access to our behind-the-scenes episodes where we talk about all the month's previous questions. We talk about how we make the show. Uh, We've done things like having guests or having Ben drink spicy milk or... Sometimes we'll just brainstorm for the show live. We'll just say like, hey, let's save the discussion for the behind the scenes and we'll see where we come out. So you can literally hear us make the show in real time. Those are our actual discussions. Uh, so they're pretty cool. If you just want to hang out with us a little bit extra, that's also another good place to do it. So lots and lots of good reasons to come to the, our Patreon and listen to our behind the scenes. But in any case, if you want to wait a whole nother week to listen to more of us, you can join us next week where we answer the following question. What if it was always overcast? <laughs>